Welcome to the Chair 2 Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Danny Smith and Ben South. If you lead from the second chair or you work with those who do, this is a place for you. We're glad you're here for conversations about the church, ministry, life, and how we can serve better for God's kingdom. Thanks for joining us this week on Chair 2 Leaders. Glad to have you listening. in. This is going to be a special week. I had the opportunity a while back to sit down with a good friend of mine who is a counselor by trade, but a believer and a faithful follower of Christ in his life and talk about counseling. So I think it's going to be a really good episode and I'm glad you're here this week. As always, we are super thankful for our sponsor, Central Baptist College in Conway, Arkansas. You can go there, finish your degree. If you've had college training, but you haven't maybe just completed things, they can help you get that done. They have traditional programs, non-traditional programs, all kinds of ways to help you get the degree you need to go forward in ministry and in life. So check them out today at cbc.edu. We're always glad to talk about Central Baptist College and we're glad to have them as a sponsor. So go check them out at cbc.edu. Well today, it's that interview that I was telling you about. Listen in, I hope you enjoy and I hope it helps you in ministry. Well, John, thanks for joining us this week on Chair 2 Leaders. To start out, why don't you take just a minute and just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and uh, your ministry and what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Um, So my name is John Priest, and uh, I am a private practice uh, psychotherapist here in Conway, Arkansas, and uh, I head up a group of about 11 clinicians um, who are all uh, sort of under our brand, Christian Perspective Counseling, um, uh, providing faith-based, um, but also state licensed, licensed mental health therapy uh, here in the area. And uh, I'm married with three kids, been married 17 and a half years now. And um, I've got a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And uh, when uh, we're not in the midst of a a school semester or, um, you know, back and forth between the dance studio or that kind of a thing. Uh, my family and I, we love traveling and, and going on hikes in the national parks. You're a big outdoors guy. I know that. Yes. Yeah. I love being outside any and chance I can get. You're hardcore camping and hiking, not just, hey, we go for a trail for the afternoon. You're hardcore, like multiple days out in the woods type camping right <laughs> well if if i can get the chance and, and i'm i'm bringing my oldest into to what's called backpacking so basically camping in places you have to walk to and um and so that's that's coming along nicely i'm glad to have a hiking buddy but my my wife that this was an interesting in our story she's definitely a hotels girl and of course i'm kind of a dirt bag as far as like as close to the ground and the elements as i can get the better and uh, so we compromised and bought a travel trailer. Oh, there you go. And uh, so it's it's a glamping situation when we're on our, <laughs> our road trips. But she it's thinks cool. it's roughing it, and you think it's really too glamorous for what you need. It, it's posh for me, but it, it's a little bit kind of on the line of, of too uncomfortable for her, <laughs> which makes it perfect. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Well, John's been a good friend of mine for several years. Matter of fact, uh, we've joked several times with mission projects and stuff. It's rare for either of us to leave the country without the other. We've traveled overseas together many times but john is a counselor in his full-time vocational career and so i want to just talk about counseling for a few minutes because in the role of ministers and in ministry one of the things we do is we have to counsel people regularly 
And in seminary or Bible college, you might have a class or two, unless you majored in counseling, you're only going to have one class, two classes in counseling, probably. And you're not going to really be fully equipped to handle a lot of things. So I want us to talk through just some of the counseling, maybe some do's and don'ts, some of the tips that you could give, tips of the trade maybe, and uh, just kind of see some ways we can approach counseling people because that's a big part of our ministry. People come in for advice with how to deal with their kids, how to help their marriage, situations with work and family. And so being a counselor is a big part of the role of being a minister. And just because you're not chair one leader, if you're a chair two leader who is that second chair, you're still going to get a good bit of counseling people who are going to come to you for those type of things. So Mm -hmm. I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to just sit and talk about some of the ways we can approach counseling better and just some good techniques to use. So maybe let's just start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some just good basic techniques for counseling someone who comes into your office? Maybe assessment, where they are. What are some maybe some good diagnostic questions just for that first meeting when, hey, I need some help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, thinking about this, you know, I definitely want to allow room for some of the distinctives between mental health counseling and, and a pastoral kind of counseling, you know, uh, mental health counseling, its goal largely is to to identify diagnoses by becoming aware of symptoms. Um, but definitely in my approach, one of um, one of the things that I'm heavy on is just kind of the fact that that diagnoses and symptoms are abstractions. They have no inherent need for treatment, right? People, humans with struggles, are the ones that that need counseling, and so. Um, basically all of the, uh, the interview questions and, and assessments and things like that would be to get to know ultimately what is a person and, and the challenge of their experience. And um, so we do a lot of work intentionally to make as much room in the counseling space and, and in what we call the therapeutic alliance, the relationship, for somebody to just be as open and honest about themselves as possible. So uh, actually, and I'll tell people, especially if they're a therapy newbie, because it can be a little bit disorienting, um, is uh, I'll, I'll tell them this is your, your very first big, wide open, chunky, weird therapy question. And I'll start with just... Could you please tell me the story of you coming to visit with me today? Um, and and I begin to listen for where they begin the story, um, what conspicuously they left out, what, what they're very certain they want me to know, um, whether they talk uh, sort of um, uh, in abstraction about you know um, the the way that they feel, or you know they feel far from God, or you know, just like they can't carry on or that kind of thing, or whether they're very concrete and they, they describe um, uh, like hard sort of physical circumstances that they're going through. Um, and and I, I go about a dozen different directions um, all at once when somebody begins to, to fill the space of that question. Um, to me, obviously, and, and hopefully this is real relevant to pastors doing counseling, is I'm, I'm always on the hunt for... Um, uh, for what we call an adjustment difficulty, um, which means that it might be kind of short-lived, um, but basically life is getting tricky for them, obviously, because they've hired a therapist. And uh, the two types of, of ways that... Well, and I would say in pastoral counseling, that's probably true, too, that there's yes. an issue where there's a circumstance coming up that's tricky, to use your term. That's right. That's why they're here for that. Exactly, yeah. So they're kind of self-motivated because you know they they've begun to feel like they can't keep pace with their need to cope or adjust. And, and so I start listening for, for two primary categories of adjustment difficulty, and that's depressive mood and anxiety. 
um, you know, we I can listen for that in terms of how it's uh, impacting somebody's um, physical body. Um, but a lot of times they'll begin to tell me, you know, not an obvious language, like I'm very anxious. Um, but for instance, if, if I hear restlessness uh, or trouble sleeping, then my next question oftentimes is, do you have trouble going to sleep or are you wakeful? Um, and, uh, and, and sort of getting into the space of that follow-up question. Sometimes I hear that somebody's experiencing a lot of anxiety and they can't get their brain to, to shut off, to allow for rest and those kinds of things. So just, um, maybe a, a good metaphor is if you can create a big wide funnel in your, in your opening question, um, and, and begin to kind of use that funnel shape with the way that you formulate questions, um, to understand kind of more particularly as you go in your initial sessions, what's the thing that a client or, or a counselee in y'all's case might need to change or, or give way for them to have the relief they're longing for. Um, then, uh, you know, of course for me, again, I'm, I'm kind of mind mapping diagnoses and symptoms and I'm treatment planning when I'm, when I'm going and, and that kind of thing. But that's all back end. I'm just a human with a fellow human in the interaction. So when you start asking those questions, how do you know, okay, here's some good questions to ask. Mm -hmm. now, I know basically you, you want to ask open-ended questions, so they do more of the talking than you do. You know, sure. you're, you're trying to avoid yes or no questions probably, at least at, to some point. You probably need to ask some initial ones, yes, no, to kind of get it started. But yeah. what are some of those good questions trying to get the conversation going down? Or I'd say maybe if it's somebody coming in with, let, let's use in this scenario, a, a mm -hmm. parent who's having trouble with children or rebellious kids or misbehaving kids or that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Sure. Sure. So, um, so some of the, um, the questions that, that I might use to, to try and kind of, um, uh, open up a conversation about what seems to be the matter, um, is, you know, in this engagement, most of the time I'm going to be meeting with the parent first and, and getting to know their perspective, which a lot of times, but most of my work ends up being done, uh, being done with the child. And so then, you know, another perspective in that dynamic is for me to get the kid to open up to me. But with the parent, um, you know, I'm, I might invite them to share with me. Um, a lot of times what I call, what I call them is behaviors of greatest concern. Um, and if they say, well, um, uh, I just have to, to uh, sort of nag or prompt them all the time to do stuff. They, you know, a lot of times with adolescent, especially boys, um, you know, I get parents talking about, you know, how lazy they are. And, and then the, the nagging or the prompting is usually the genesis of a power struggle that gives way to you maybe some more oppositional or like overtly bad behaviors. So, um, uh, and, and what I'm listening for is if I use kind of a, an ambiguous neutral term like behavior of greatest concern is I'm listening to the way that mom or dad would describe a behavior of greatest concern, right? Um, so they'll use whatever words they use. And, and as they explain sort of what constitutes greatest concern to them, then I'm getting to know how they formulate their thoughts about things. Uh, and a lot of times what I find, you know, just kind of for that hypothetical is um, parents, they um, are maybe dealing with an adolescent who, who seems in a lot of ways to be running their own life, you know, mostly independent or, or that kind of a thing, but their expectations for what adolescence is actually like are pretty unrealistic. Mm -hmm. So if I hear them saying, well, well, my concern is that he's always in his room a lot, 
um, well, then I might sort of psychoeducate with them or, or psychoeducate them about the fact that adolescents often do kind of isolate because that's how they process things. You know, they're not, not always um, sort of um, um, uh, like hiding themselves away and, and sort of like a depressive withdrawn or plotting the demise of the household. It's not always next... abnormal. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's very normal range, even though, I mean, it can be a little bit troubling. And so the cool thing, you know, just as an example, is like a, a big open question like that can sort of invite somebody to use the space to share how they engage with an issue. And then I, I'm always on the hunt for sort of what the intervention that's helpful might could be. Do you kind of hear the funnel yeah. doing the work in that description? Yes. And so it just kind of letting them guide the conversation down. Okay, here's the real issue we're dealing with. That's exactly right. Because I know a lot of times when people come into the office and it's like, we've got, you know, our kids are misbehaving, our marriage is falling apart. They've got 10,000 things that they are just shooting at you mm -hmm. and sometimes when people just start unloading there's just this avalanche of information yes and most of them aren't the issue right there's usually one or two big things that's the issue and so what are you lo looking for as far as cues mm -hmm. maybe to look for hey yeah this is the real one yeah i'm definitely trying to pick out themes uh, in a lot of ways um you know, the, the presenting problem, we call it, you know, if, if somebody were to fill out, you know, just kind of a, a, um, a response prompt on one of our assessment sheets, you know, about what seems to be the matter, it's kind of how they would pinpoint um, the, the reason for reporting to this initial session. But as you get a, a feel for what's going on in the rest of people's lives or even the rest of that, that family dynamic context, to use the example that we've got on hand that we're talking about, um, I'm looking for themes, maybe uh, like a common one actually is um, moms get pretty nervous about their kids being successful in adolescence because control is slipping away from them. And the developmental task for adolescence is individuating and launching and all that kind of stuff. And so one of the themes I often identify is the transfer of parental anxiety to children. Um, that there's, there's almost kind of a, an anxious mom who's inadvertently handing her anxiety to her kid, either in the form of perfectionism or micromanagement or, or that kind of a thing. Um, and, and so I start to kind of test for how else I might could be aware that that, uh, we actually, that that's a hypothesis and I might work on the basis of that hypothesis for a moment in that interaction with the mother, for instance, um, and see if, if that effect seems to be true anywhere else. So I could identify a pattern that doesn't just help with, you know, my, my kid is snotty and I need help with that, but instead can help situate that mother with a greater, um, really a greater comfort level with the question of unknowns or uncontrollables. Because thematically, um, that may be an individual who, who really is challenged by kind of anything that they're not able to have their hand on. I mean, you're dealing with it specifically in a cl clinical setting. Right. But I think some of those principles would transfer over easily into more the pastoral office mm -hmm. setting. You know, some of those there. Um, do you see a transfer where some of those hey, these same principles I'm using in a clinical setting mm -hmm. can absolutely work in a more pastoral, biblical counseling setting? I would absolutely agree, yeah. I think, you know, the more, the more you can kind of zoom out from presenting problem to this seems to be 
kind of a, a struggle in the mind of this person. You know, the, the key verse for our practice is Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Um, and it's kind of interesting because the, the modality that's high, that has the highest basis of evidence these days, the treatment modality um, in psychotherapy, um, are cognitive behavioral-based therapies, which is basically the, the interaction between our thoughts and behaviors. Think about how much Paul wrote about the interaction of our thoughts and behaviors and how critical mind renewal is as kind of the fulcrum for behavior change. If we're going to have righteousness, then we've got to center our mind on on um, sort of uh, the, the things of spiritual life in Christ, right? Um, and so the cool thing is, is as we zoom out, either in pastoral counseling or even in clinical counseling, uh, like what I'm doing, um, it's a robust treatment for depression. Um, but also pastorally, you might um, you might take this individual uh, to where Christ reminds us that you know after all he feeds the birds, he clothes the flowers. Um, so what what could we really be troubled by, right? Um, and uh, and that gives you know this this hypothetical parent we're talking about some key thought based interventions that that she can deploy even kind of on the basis of like a homework assignment or a practical follow up between sessions that really helps them um, make sense of what uh, sanctification strategically looks like regarding that mind matter. Yeah, I think that what you said about Paul and, and the scripture talking about how our behaviors and our beliefs and those all just kind mm. of come together. Because the truth is our behaviors are a result of what our true beliefs are. That's exactly right. I mean, because what we believe is what we do. Yes. So in biblical counseling, I mean, if behavior is wrong, obviously there is a misplaced or a wrong belief somewhere. That's right. Beforehand. So there's a lot of biblical advice for that and counsel and it's like hey we need to change the believing and the thinking and the attitude and the heart behavior will follow that the hand always follows the heart and the head that's right and so but if you just change the hand without changing the heart and the the head the heart and the mind there you, go. you you lose the hand the hand will, you might can get the hand to do that for a while but right. if, but if it's just behavior modification for the sake of that if you don't get to the reason that that behavior is mm -hmm. there you're still going to have the problem down the road. It may manifest differently, but you're still going to have the issue. That's right. And that's a beautiful thing about what I get to do is, you know, at, at that level, you know, really the cool thing about CBT is kind of cognitive behavioral therapies acronym. And I do a lot of CBT. And the neat thing is I, I jokingly call it non-invasive brain surgery because um, your brain in functional MRI scans will actually light up differently at the end of CBT as compared to the beginning. Hmm. Um, because in, in this interaction between our thought life um, and our behaviors and, and, uh, and environment and that kind of thing, we, it's like our, our mind uh, as effectively a, a psychological or, or um, um, kind of a spiritual term for the, the theological, uh, uh, what we term our soul, right? We can make our, our brain obedient to our mind. Instead of just chemicals and electricity getting the jump on us, then our actual will at, at the level that our soul interacts with what it knows from the spirit of God can bring our flesh into submission. So the, the cool thing is there really is nothing outside the gospel. It's just in this moment, 
is is the gospel changing me in in ways that I'll allow it that I that I long for it to or am am I subjected primarily to kind of the the same old tendencies I've always had to deal with hurts yeah it, you know I, I like what you said there because the gospel is the answer yes. I mean, that is the answer to sin to problems and that is the ultimate answer but sometimes in our life mm-hmm. there are some barriers that are keeping the gospel from in our mind and our thoughts or for some reason they're keeping it from, you know, firing on all cylinders, I guess I could say it that way from right, an automotive right. uh, perspective, <laughs> but how it just kind of, it, it slows it and it keeps mm-hmm. the, okay, I know this, I, I know this is true. I know the gospel, but it, living it out is difficult. And, and so for a believer, sometimes there's that, how do I bridge that gap from, I know the gospel and making that impact my thoughts, my behavior, my response is all those things. Yeah, I think that's an important thing that that um, I know I'm challenged by daily in in my walk with Christ, and and I I get it's cool because I get the honor of being uh, with clients who, in a lot of ways, I'm discipling as much as I'm treating. In terms of um, how how do I rely how do I rely on what the gospel tells me I can trust God for in this moment instead of kind of running my own plays, and so I even use to to invite people into kind of the origin story of, of some of these um, uh, the, these plays that we just have these deep set tendencies to run whenever it seems like we're under threat or going to get hurt. And I, I use the garden narrative tons, right? Um, there, there's a thing that emerges in all of us when threat's at hand where maybe this threat means God is holding out on me. Mm-hmm. And I got this fruit here I can eat. And it'd be a quick and easy way just to be able to have my own plan instead of having to kind of um, dangle off the cliff of trust and all of God's goodness, even the part that I don't understand yet. Mm. Um, and taking people into that tension um, is is a lot of what I do in therapy sessions. And you do that from a ther- clinical therapy perspective. A lot of that we do in, from the pulpit and from teaching and in the counseling office with as a pastor doing some biblical counseling using some of those same principles apply. That's right. Um, while you are doing it in the secular world, although your business model and your business is known as Christian Perspective Counseling, so you are mm-hmm. up front, hey, we are come from a Christian viewpoint. Yeah. Um, you still work in the secular world as well with that. Exactly. And so it, it you have some challenges probably there. But in the, the when they're coming to the pastoral pastor's office, they're expecting biblical counseling. And right. so you, that's an open door just to say, okay, there's a, here's the issue. I think this is the issue. Here's what the gospel says. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out how to bridge this and, and, and have the gospel impact what you're dealing with today. That's right. So um, as you look at people, do you think that's that's one of those bridges that's just really a, a challenge? Or is it just learning some skills to help do that? Is it helping learn, okay, what's the barrier? What's, what's the big thing you see as the bridge problem? Uh, you know, I think it has a lot to do with, um, with really not necessarily faulty theology, but, but errant theology from some source or another. You know, I I treat people who have spiritual abuse from really legalistic, uh, and, and harmful faith traditions, you know, that, that there's a lot of just religiosity, a lot of, um, kind of, um, 
maladaptive perfectionism and uh, and really behavior modification. Like if you want to be like us effectively, then act like us without any concern for our desires really being transformed, right? So effectively, you just get to trade out your stone heart. You don't actually get the flesh one. <laughs> and uh, But then other, th- other things too that um, can happen where um, you know, somebody, and, and a lot of times this is basically the one thing Freud was right about is asking about our family of origin, um, sort of diving into the importance of those foundational experiences is really significant because kind of the first depiction of, of quote, the, the God of our universe is what's shown to us by our family. Mm-hmm. And all of us have woundings or, um, or even just kind of uh, gaps that they left in, in terms of, it, it's like incomplete goodness. God intended the design to be perfect. Our parents were not. So all of us have have sort of hurts and questions about, again, is, is God really good? Um, or is he holding out on me? And I, I've got to sort of make my own way through this world. Um, and unearthing people's faulty beliefs a lot of times is is really important. So one of my key questions, if I can tell that, that um, somebody uh, either judges their experience or even the experiences of others in a very firm way, um, is I'll just ask them, and it's a, a relatively confrontational style, but I'll just say, who taught you that? And not as a challenge, right? Not like you have no business believing that, but I, I'm literally inviting them in the space of the interaction to consider where that belief came from um, if that's a trustworthy source, if that belief has served them, or if it might, it might need to be copy edited, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I think when dealing with individual things, I think in relationship, I've had counseling appointments with people in my office where, you know, if it's a marriage and they've had, mm. back, both people have their own story they're bringing into it. It's like, there's a lot back there Oh yes, that you, you're marrying into <laughs> when right. you do that, and you bring it with you. You don't just leave that at the altar when you marry your spouse. You don't leave all your history behind. Yeah, you so don't get a memory wipe. Right. At, at the, You're still at the bringing altar. all those things in. <laughs> and, and we have to understand there's these thoughts, these, these trust issues from the past, experiences mm-hmm. from the past that are going to affect how you respond today. We need to understand what they are. Yes. So we can move past them. They don't have to define everything today. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand, okay, this is there. There needs to come a point where we draw a line and say, okay, we're going to move forward. That's Understanding right. that is the past. That's the way it was. Uh-huh. But moving forward, the gospel can change that. The gospel can impact that. And it doesn't have to stay that way. That's I right. I think that's one of those big things is getting people over those hurdles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I don't, in my experience, that's getting people over those hurdles is just a challenge. It, I think it's tough. And, and one of the things that I find myself struggling with, with clients or struggling, not, not you know they're they're opposing me but it's like me and the client are in the struggle with this and it's the it, it's almost like forgiveness salvation um you know putting things behind us all those conceptually what we do is we kind of use verbiage that that seems to indicate that those are finite points to arrive at or cross right like kind of in in um like forgiveness is a fixed point um our chronology or maturity passes that and then if it's a good thing that's done because that was tough, right? <laughs> no, all the points that clients need to um, to kind of wrangle with, and and you know, there's there's always three fingers pointing back at me as well at this, but but sort of the points of forgiveness or, or salvation of what uh, what else they they're always moments in us, 
right? And just like, you know, justification is, is a fixed point in time when we we're overwhelmed by the Lordship of Christ in our lives and that kind of thing. Sanctification is that gut wrenching over and over salvation. Right. And, and to me, that's how these interventions that I do clinically work. Um, the, the over and overness of cognitive behavioral interventions in the mind, like, you know, I'm, I'm picking up and nursing my feelings about this, this injury that was done in the relationship. It's time to forgive. Right. In that moment, that point of forgiveness happening over and over and over and over is how our brain is reshaped towards the gospel instead of, you know, kind of running on the, the endeavor to just secure as much comfort as possible and avoid all the pain. Because that kind of misses the whole point of the gospel, right? Like Christ told his homies, literally, you're going to have many tribulations, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That's right. yeah. and, and just not believing in that is all of our struggle moment by moment. That's good. John, thanks for joining us. We're going to continue this conversation next week. But if they wanted to reach out to you or connect with you in some way, is there a way our listeners could connect with you? Absolutely, yeah. So our uh, practice here in Conway, Arkansas is Christian Perspective Counseling. And our website is www.cpcarkansas.com. And that has all our contacts there, phone numbers. Uh, you can chat with us directly online. Uh, you can reach out to me directly. And um, you know, opportunities like this to discuss what we do, um, even in, in collaboration with pastors and, and bodies of believers, uh, or also you know, helping people directly with, uh, with referrals for particular client issues, we'd be happy to engage with you there. Well, thanks for joining us on Chair 2 Leaders this week. Hope you've enjoyed this interview. Come back next week for the second half where John joins us again and talks more about counseling and ministry. Hope you have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Chair 2 Leaders. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates, and make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Chair 2 Leaders wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.